Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, powered by Kasoon Carr. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Harry Clark, future trainee solicitor at Bacon McKenzie, founder and host of the More From Law podcast and law blogger. So welcome, Harry. Thank you, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. You just told me off air that you'd rehearsed your super question. <laughs> so you know it's our customary icebreaker. Yes. So on a scale of one to 10, what are you giving suits? Well, I have to qualify this first by saying I've done that really terrible thing where I've not seen all of the episodes and I've been watching those like highlights off YouTube and little <laughs> clips like that. But from what I have seen, I'd probably have to give it a round of five um, in terms of realism and, and closeness to industry. It's quite funny. I was meeting a friend yesterday uh, for a drink who doesn't do law and he was kind of asking me for about 30 minutes all about suits. He was like, oh, so this is like realistic, right? This is what lawyers do. And I kind of had to just myth bust for a bit. So um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I'm, I'm probably a solid five. What, what about yourself? Well, I think over this course of sort of season one and season two, we, we, we started off season one where we had a couple of tens, bizarrely. Then we had a couple of ones. And I think more and more now we're kind of landing in the middle of sort of, you know, people accept there's a lot of Hollywood in there. Yeah. There's some, some glimpses of sort of honesty and the reality of, of, of the law. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's probably a fair, fair reflection of five. So I guess it's probably worth the listeners getting a bit of a feel for how we got to know each other. And, mm. I, and I think it's just the way of the modern world. It was through LinkedIn, right? Yeah. And I think that's one of the major platforms forms that you're you're using at the moment but before we talk about that because i think that's a good networking point for people do you want to tell us a bit about you your background your studies and yeah, just look, talk more about you sure yeah so as you said i'm a future trainee at bacon mckenzie i'll be starting there in september of this year and right now i'm studying the lpc fast track at bpp so i'm only a few weeks in but uh already really enjoying it and it's certainly a different beast to universities i'm sure you can imagine yeah um, speaking of uni i was at the university of york i also studied law there and then for the last sort of five six months as you said i've been really getting into this kind of blogging article writing networking all that sort of things and it, it culminated with the release of uh, my own podcast which i released today as we record so um yeah that's sort of the last six months really yeah and you know i think it's great that there's people like you out there doing all these wonderful things in terms of fueling uh people with content and really trying to inspire and help others but was that something you always wanted to do or is this sort of just emerged Kind of a bit of both, really. So um, I always kind of had a, an interest in in blogging and just writing things generally. One of my sort of close friends had done it, not in the legal sphere at all. Um, and I could really tell from conversations with her about how it's a real passion project and you get really invested in it. And so I'd always kind of had it on the back burner. Um, but then about six months ago, I made a sort of short post off the cuff on LinkedIn. I'd never used it before at all, really. I committed to it. It was just a digital CV to me at that time. And it sort of went viral and it blew up. And I just kind of thought, well, if I'm going to launch something, I'll just try it now while I've got this little bit of momentum. And then it's literally been a case of week after week, month after month, just sort of following the momentum of where it's gone. And it's it's really turned into a sort of side hobby for me. And I, I, I absolutely love it. It's been really, really fun. Yeah. And I guess let's talk about your personal journey before what you're doing for others as well. How did you find sort of getting your, your, your training contract and how did you find the whole experience of that? Yeah. Like most people, I'd say tough. <laughs> yeah. It's a really mentally draining process for anyone. And sure, there are people out there who kind of get it first time on the lucky and that, that's the end of it. But for most people, it's a kind of consistent two, three year process of applying. And that was certainly the case for me. So I sort of started at the end of my first year. And I did about three rounds of applications. And then just before I began my third year was when I was um, thankfully successful. And um, yeah, like most people, I think it, it was just a case of kind of trying to figure out things for yourself because 
you're not always quite sure where you're going wrong when you do get rejected and it's very different compared to most other kind of graduate routes so rather than kind of waiting until you've done your degree and then applying for a job like most of my siblings have done instead i was having these kind of companies and these firms come to me in you know, the end of my first year and kind of giving presentations and sort of seriously asking you to consider applying which was sort of quite quite shocking to me um, but no, it was sort of a, a journey of kind of self-discovery and it, and it was through speaking with currently practicing lawyers and getting that kind of secondhand opinion that really, I feel, helped me the most and kind of went from, you know, aimlessly wandering about to actually having some kind of direction in, in the application process, really. Okay. And, and so then on to, to sort of Harry Clark Law, mm. your own website. And, yeah, and, creative name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? Keep yeah. it simple, right? Um, <laughs> and it's a blog, as you say, geared towards aspiring solicitors. Mm. So um, you cover a whole range of topics there. But do you want to just sort of tell us more about that and, and why people should check that out? Yeah. So again, it sort of started as a little passion project and I was sort of sharing little things that I knew about the uh, training contract ap- application process and a bit about doing law at university and networking, things like that. And then as it's sort of gone on, I've, I've kind of delved into little kind of personal insights into areas of law, or I've collaborated with some really kind of cool and exciting industry experts to kind of give a bit more of a specialism to it. But um, yeah, essentially, it's just a place where I sort of share my own thoughts on the industry as a whole, um, some sort of tips for those applying for training contracts and vacation schemes, and then just generally some sort of tidbits and skills about interviewing and um, how to sort of write good applications and things like that, which is probably more applicable to any industry outside of law as well. So um, it's a place where I sort of try to give concise advice in a f- format that's not too scary to you know aspiring legal professionals really. And I think then not to put you too much on the spot, but if you mm. were to kind of say there are sort of three or four sort of key points that you would advise people going through that process, what mm. are your sort of top tips or or things that people should think about and they should think get sure. into? Sure. So I'll give you four, but not in any real order. So number one, uh, for me, probably the biggest tip actually, I will say that was to really get specific and to tailor your application to the firm you're applying to. So in first year, I had a terrible strategy where I would copy and paste templates and send them off to firms, you know, ridiculously generic, no real direction in it. And as you can imagine, I got smacked in the face with objections from that. I even had a really embarrassing story where I forgot to change the name of the law firm in the oh, first line. No. And so the recruiter opens it up and it says, <laughs> yeah, dear whoever, this is to the wrong firm. And I got that one back. It was it was kind of a reality moment it's hard to, for me. It's hard to contest that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's a lesson you learn quickly and once. So that was kind of um, the main thing I tried to do is to really kind of learn about the firms and tailor them, tailor the applications to them really. Um, second was to kind of network and to get yourself out there. I think a lot of law students or younger legal professionals don't either view it as important or it being sort of their place to do it. They sort of associate it with, you know, partners going out, trying to win clients or something like that. But it's a really great way to kind of learn more about the industry and meet some great people. So for instance, I went to a few kind of conferences that were um, geared towards like legal tech and law tech. That was what I was sort of interested in. Went to all kinds of different law fairs where all the employers come to your campus. It's a really great way to try and meet them face to face. So um, yeah, definitely networking. Uh, number three would be to get as much kind of mentoring advice as you can. People are unbelievably willing to help you if you kind of put yourself out there and um, bravely messaging some people on LinkedIn or through email or whatever and just kind of explaining your situation that like, I'm a law student, I'd really appreciate some advice. You know, meeting people for coffee and, and telephone calls and things is a great way to help as well. And then finally, um, I just say it's the mental aspects of being resilient and kind of keeping that that long-term goal in mind. and you know, going through that process, it it can be extremely draining. There is an element of luck to it and it, and it can often feel like you're up against it all. And so a lot of the times, you know, 
the biggest struggles you'll go through in the process is kind of contending with your own response to rejection and you kind of have to rethink it. You have to try to view each rejection as saying, well, I learned something about that application that I wrote. I learned something new about the process or I was able to try this or a different type of research rather than just the yes or no kind of end result. And if you kind of do that and you try to reflect on all the things you've done and kind of critically analyze it, you'll, you'll hopefully get to that end point a lot quicker. So yeah, there's, there's four tips. In <laughs> yeah. some order. No, I think that's a very well made point. So it's a very well said. Um, and I think for me, it's really fascinating that a key point, and I've been banging on about this from, mm. from the start of us doing the Legally Speaking podcast is, is this whole networking thing. Mm. And I, I touched it on a top of our conversation about LinkedIn and, you know, there's just a new wave of lawyer coming through. Mm. And, you know, like you rightly said, partners, old BD, I just think there's a whole landscape change that's about to happen with, yeah. you know, these people like yourselves and lots of other legal influencers and just people who just want to do more and mm. get out there. So what tips would you give to people in terms of networking in particular? Because, you know, you're, you're busy on LinkedIn. I think you've got your own LinkedIn Live now as well. Yes, no, that was recent. Yep. Um, which is great. But yeah, give, give, give some people some tips and some pointers who it may not come so naturally to. Sure. At the end of the day, the first step you have to take is to actually put yourself out there and to give it a go. But what um, if you don't like doing that? And that's the thing. It's kind of a, a case of battling against it. So start small. Don't feel like you have to rush right into, you know, the field of LinkedIn or some huge networking event or whatever. Um, try to get little one-on-one -on -one meetings that you're comfortable with. Good thing that I used to do was go with a group of friends when you go to these law fairs and things like that. Start really small. And then as you get more confident, you can kind of build your way up from that and to um, find what you do and don't like and to kind of take it slowly rather than trying to rush in right to the end result. Um, and secondly, I'd also say when you are networking and doing things like that, I was actually able to stand on the other side of the desk once at a law fair and to kind of talk to students who were coming to visit the Baker McKenzie group. And one of the things I noticed was that so many students felt like they had to go there and they had to make a, an absolute killer impression with some amazing one liner or question that would kind of wow whoever you were yeah. talking to. And if you go in with that mentality, you put an immense amount of pressure on yourself. And a lot of the times it, it won't pay off in the way that you might be thinking. So if anything, I'd say try to keep a relatively informal approach in terms of how you talk to people, kind of just pretend you're getting a coffee with them. You're just asking genuine questions, asking things that you can just Google yourself and things that are personally important to you. And if you go in with that slightly more relaxed approach and you do it with or without friends, if you're, if it's sort of new to you, um, you'll hopefully enjoy the process a lot more and actually get a lot more out of it than kind of going in with a gung-ho, I need to get X out of this immediately, um, because a lot of the times you'll put too much pressure on yourself. Yeah. And we talk about mentoring there as well. And I know it's something you do, mm. but I think there's also something else that you do that I think a lot of people think mentoring nowadays is it's still very much one-on-one -on -one in a room. Well, yes, that happens, but mm. it's also, you know, your followers are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, mm. right? You can't physically be in the room with everyone. So yeah. you do a lot of <laughs> kind of, you, you embrace tech through LinkedIn, through LinkedIn Live. And again, is that something you want to tell us more about from your sort of mentoring angles as a sort of new wave of mentoring? Yeah, I think that's true. So it definitely started off when I was kind of only getting into the blogging and, and mentoring side of things, being in those one-to-one -one, um, kind of basis. And I still do that now and then when I can as well, be it through email or, you know, amending a document or a phone call. Um, but you're right, it gets to a point where, you know, if I kept doing that for everyone, it'd be sort of quite ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's mostly about, you know, whenever I'm making content or I'm making a, a, a new post or something like that, I'm always thinking, what were the questions that I had in my mind that I didn't really have an answer to during the whole application process? And there's tons because if you're a law student and you're going through that for the first time, it's a completely new process that you won't have really had a chance to try before. So I tried to kind of answer those questions of, well, you know, what is a training contract? What is the LPC really like? What is this buzz phrase, commercial awareness or artificial intelligence or legal tech, whatever that I hear all the time and trying to kind of 
dilute some of those misconceptions that I used to believe and the kind of common pitfalls I used to fall into in a way that will be broadly applicable to as many people as possible, really. So, And I think, you know, a lot of people have said to us, we've had quite a lot of people at the start of their careers on, on the podcast recently. And, you know, we, we have people listening from, from that right the way up to partner level, right the way through to sort of, you know, general counsels and people outside of the law that mm. want to be kind of doing more than that. But perhaps more people in their sort of, you know, midpoint of their journey, one to four PQE. Mm. What do you think, particularly with topics like legal tech, those people who are probably used to just doing the job, yeah. what do you think are going to be some of the changes you think might see coming in as someone who's kind of more on the pulse and sort of changes to the roles that could be happening? Yeah. So to me, the, the, the whole you know generation of new legal tech and this kind of new way of thinking about innovation in law firms, um, it's as much as a kind of social and a cultural concept as much as is a tech one. People tend to get bogged down in thinking, oh, I need to be able to understand what a blockchain is and how it actually functions. Whereas at the end of the day, it's the commercial aspect, which is probably a lot more relevant. And you're right, if people have been doing the same thing for however many years or something, they, it might be kind of these new concepts coming in they don't necessarily understand and can get confused as to how they might, you know, in my view, want to either change their practice or to um, learn something new. For me, I think you should kind of really get involved in those things that you're interested in when it comes to um, either innovation or doing something outside of your work. For me, that is the tech side of things. Um, but if you're in that kind of one to four year PQE bracket, regardless of what it is that you're doing in terms of um, some kind of extracurricular interest, you've got an Im- immense amount of experience and knowledge that you know law students would be absolutely dying for when it comes to insights into the industry and wanting to learn more about what it is and what you do. So um, for me, I think mentoring and, and kind of putting yourself out there is a great thing for anyone to do. And then all of these kind of new changes with legal tech are an opportunity to upskill and to change your your approach to work and to try new things, really. So um, I've recently been trying to self-teach myself how to code, um, not necessarily to get to the end point where I actually could make something substantial, but more to see how coders think and to kind of understand the way they view problems. Um, I know others amongst me are kind of trying to do new things when it comes to um, developing their commercial awareness and trying out new new ways of doing that, be it through appearing on podcasts or, or listening to them and kind of writing themselves these kind of reports and insights. So regardless of what it is I think you're interested in, there's a great way to um, pursue that outside of the way you've been doing things for one to four years. So I think listen to what younger people are saying when it comes to what they're interested in. Try to give some insight into that and pass on that insight that you have. And then, um, yeah, view all the these new changes as an opportunity to upskill and to try try something new really okay and then on the flip side partners you mm. know in law firms you know a lot of partners know what they're doing and they're used to what they're doing mm. and they're not going to change it yeah now yeah now do you think there will be a time where that mindset shall we say mm. will change and partners will necessarily buy into this because i think it is a ongoing debate isn't it about mm. some people saying well that's all well and good but you know i've got my practice my book of business this is the way, way i did it, it. Yeah. And, and it's worked just fine yeah. i'm really not interested versus actually the new way for people who are saying mm. do you know actually this could really benefit us where what would you say and how would you kind of argue that, yeah. that point in all honesty i think push will eventually come to shove and you kind of have to admit that all of the you know young lawyers now and the law students really are the future lifeblood of the firms and if they've got this new way of thinking and they, they're really passionate about these types of values that partners perhaps might have different ones on based on how they were raised and, and how they've come into the profession, um, that change will eventually come as a matter of time. I think uh, law firms kind of have the the responsibility now to understand where they think the, the kind of future is going in terms of the profession and to genuinely consider um, how they can innovate and how they can change their business practices rather than using it as some kind of marketing window dressing sort of thing. So 
Um, a lot of firms, I've, I've, I mean, I've heard, I was listening to a podcast the other day and a guy who works in the legal tech industry said that one of his clients who was a law firm paid for their services for two years, but never enlisted their help because they simply wanted to say that we were doing this on their website or something like that, which to me just fascinated me. Yeah. But then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got firms setting up their own incubators. They've got these, you know, dedicated partners and, and kind of heads of the firm dedicated to innovation and particularly on the tech side of things. So, um, in short, I think push will come to shove and eventually partners will either willingly or be forced to change their mind as a result of not just these new influences of tech, but also just the new values and emphasis on, um, you know, work-life balance and, and the ability to work remotely that younger people tend to tend to favor. Um, so I think firms will eventually have to change, really. And do you think through sort of legal design, and, and that was something actually we had a, a lecturer, Japanas, who was mm. the founder of The Law Boutique, who, you know, she gave an amazing podcast the other week about just, you know, let's just simplify things. Mm. You know, we have all these complex things, these legal operations, admittedly that's more for in-house, but, yeah. you know, it's just amazing how we can overcomplicate the law. Yeah. And actually with, with tech, it's actually there to simplify and provide messages to your clients so they can understand it in very matter-of-fact basic form, right? Yeah. Um, I find that quite fascinating. The other question I was really keen to get your, your your view on is, you know, there's no disguising the fact that, you know, you speak to a lot of junior associates now, what are their ambitions? Most of them say they don't want partnership mm. because they look at the road path ahead of them from the years gone past and it does not excite them. If anything, it scares them, it pushes them away. They're not interested. I think you're absolutely right that, you know, partnership was always kind of historically viewed as where most lawyers wanted to end up. But yeah. now there's a, there's a huge influx of new kind of opportunities. So um, in council is one of them, you're right. But, you know, the introduction of these um, new alternate business models means that the big four are coming across and there's new types of companies that are in the legal industry now that they went before. All of these new startups, which are primarily based in tech, but not just that, um, you know, access to law. There's all kinds of opportunities now where lawyers don't feel like they have to stay within, uh, you know, that 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 confined career route, really. To me, it's really exciting. Um, the fact that firms have these kind of legal tech managers and innov dedicated innovation managers kind of, to me, signals that you don't have to be practicing letter of the law all the time. You can mix in that kind of commercial element and, and really innovate and contrib contribute to the firm in a completely different way beyond the billable hour, really. And the SQE, I think yes. we have to talk about. What are your, <laughs> I think it's still grey. Yeah, uh, yeah. But what are your views, and where do you see? What do you see with that? I mean, it's not coming anytime soon. I don't think, based on the response from law firms and kind of the the reaction to the pilot. I did actually apply for that, but unfortunately, didn't get a place. I can see where they're going with it, and the the emphasis on practical skills is really important. Personally, I'd like to see that emphasis actually take place earlier on in the kind of legal education timeline of a lawyer. So, um, how I studied law at York was a really unique way in the UK. It was it was through problem-based learning, which effectively meant that you were in a student law firm and you simulated the role of a lawyer through getting emails from these kind of made-up clients and you worked on it in a very similar way to a trainee or that a lawyer might actually do. Yeah. And that was a huge emphasis on skills development and practicing things like interviewing and negotiating and advocacy. Um, personally, I think it's a great way to to learn. And I think if the SQE did come into to fashion, sit in really nicely with the, the things it's trying to achieve, re-skills. So... Yeah, personally, I don't think it's coming anytime soon, but I think the things it's trying to do are, are admirable. Um, but if anything, I'd actually argue you could probably do them in a different way in a law degree itself. Yeah, well said, well said. And then on to, I promised you we would talk about it, and I'm really excited to give you the platform to do so. More from the law, your own podcast. And yeah. um, a lot of people say to me, you know, why the hell do you set up legally speaking podcasts? Mm. You know, what's the point? And yeah. you know, my my view is, you know, 
our firm, Kasun Carr, is we're a consultancy firm, you know, we're a legal consultancy firm that support people with career decisions, but we also need to provide people with good content and, you know, provide a service more than just what we do. So, you know, our passion is to go above and beyond. But, you know, more for law, more from the law, shall I say. Tell us about that. Why? And, you know, what, what have we got lined up? Yeah. So, so from my own personal um, point of view, it was kind of a natural extension of doing the blog and LinkedIn, all that sort of thing. But the sort of driving force behind the podcast was that, um, the legal industry is huge and it's incredibly diverse in all the different things that a lawyer could do as we've kind of previously touched on. And um, for me, it w- I wanted to view it as an opportunity for both aspiring and current legal professionals to broaden their understanding of what the industry is all about and to bring in um, these kind of industry specialists who have had these kind of really niche skills or understandings and interests and to share them in a really accessible format, which means that you could go away with some kind of actionable insight or learning to, to take from the episodes. I've got some really awesome guests lined up, so quite a few based in in the legal tech sort of sector, um, some to do with legal design, a few who are primarily based on um, sort of interviewing and skills negotiations. They sort of run their own companies dedicated to teaching teaching people how to do that. Um, even a few sort of owners of law firms and how they go through that journey of wanting to set up their own firm and kind of differentiate from what most lawyers do in terms of joining one. So I'm really, really excited to get working on it. And I'm hoping that it will be of value to not just kind of law students and those looking to join the profession, um, but those who are currently in it and looking for a a new way to understand the industry and, and all the different things that are out there really. I think you're absolutely right. And, and, and there's such a need for, you know, these sort of podcasts to be out there. And so, you know, people should be as part of their daily routine. Yes, reading is great, but get listening to podcasts, yeah. get listening to people in, in, in industry, sharing insights, upskilling yourself. It's one of the quickest, easiest, most, you know, commute and listen, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I do every morning. So I, I, I'm definitely a, a big believer um, in all of that jazz. In terms of your journey, then you're going into Baker's, mm. you know, do you know which area of law you wish to qualify in? And- <laughs> you're going to put me on the record. Yeah. <laughs> um, in my interview, I was saying that I was really interested in M&A and that, that yeah. was kind of my approach. And I still am to some degree. Um, but since getting my offer and doing more reading and kind of getting more interested in, in really taking interest in the industry and what what's out, out there, I'm leaning more towards IP and tech and that kind of thing. Um, I've actually got a call this Friday with the, it's a funny story. I was on LinkedIn. I was trying to learn a bit more about their sort of IP practice and what they were doing. And I came across this guy called Ben on LinkedIn and sent him a message basically saying, I'm a future trainee. Do you mind if I sort of chat with you and ask some questions? And he was like, yeah, sure. And it was only when I closed the message and I looked at his actual profile, I realized he's the global head of that department. So he runs <laughs> like 80 offices all around the world. And I was like, oh man, I've really put my foot in it. <laughs> um, but no, he was thankful enough to get in touch with me and to kind of organize something where I can ask him some questions and talk more about it. So, But I think that links nicely to your point about, you know, if you approach people yeah. and you show that you really care, you're dedicated, people will be amazed by the amount people want to help and give back. Um, so no, I think if anything, that's quite a good case study of showing, you know, you're practicing what you preach. And, yeah. you know, if you put yourself out there good things will happen right yeah absolutely yeah okay and why bakers why did you choose bakers oh man i'm back in the interview room um <laughs> so i kind of went through this process of why did i want to be a lawyer and then when yeah. i figured that out i was like okay why do i want to be a commercial lawyer and kind of figured that out through work experience and when i was answering that question um through some work experience i was doing i was able to have a go at some sort of international arbitration work and to me the fact that i was sitting down with a contract in front of me half of it in english half of it in russian trying to it was to do with some printer's dispute it was you know the idea that i was sat in an office in london and kind of working on things all around the globe was just fascinating to me and 
the, the kind of global context that that had um, kind of sparked my interest in the international side of things in, in law. Bakers are an obvious choice for that in terms of the number of offices they had sort of around the world, really. And then when it came to differentiating from kind of other international commercial firms, um, I really wanted to get that kind of sense of responsibility as soon as I started training contracts. So the small training intake was a real appeal to me, the idea that you kind of get responsibility and kind of go from the ground running in terms of the work you're doing. And, and then finally, just the kind of culture and, and the kind of approach that the firm has to, to the work and its employees, they really do pride themselves on um, their kind of diverse and inclusive nature. Um, it was the only firm I ever applied to where that was actually a question on their application form, which to me signaled how, how much they valued it. So yeah, essentially I wanted to be working in a kind of international collaborative working environment had great opportunities for their trainees to do some comments and get kind of real work from the get-go. So to me, Bakers was the obvious choice really for those sort of three reasons. Yeah, good stuff. And one of the things I'm also keen to talk about, which is a theme that we're going along with just sort of the new wave of, of law. I think mm. you, on, on your blog, you talk about mobile law firms. Yeah, that and, came up. <laughs> and I think that's really interesting as well, particularly with we talk about cloud-based technology yeah. and all the resources available. Yeah, where do you see the sort of the law firm movement in the next sort of five, 10 years? We move, I think we've moved past just basic flexible working or yeah. agile working, right? That's just sort of years and years gone. Yeah. Where do you see the sort of mobile law firm? Yeah. So the, in, one of the examples in that article was to do with a, a firm who actually has their own RV as a mobile office and you know, <laughs> they drive out to clients. And it's kind of a, that was sort of fascinating to me. Um, whether we'll see the equivalent of legal taxis or something like that, I very much doubt it. But um, no, you're absolutely right when it comes to collaboration and kind of cloud-based working and the idea that not everyone has to be in the office at this time to, to complete a matter. Law firms have kind of gone from traditionally doing everything obviously by hand, then computers come along, everyone's reliant on Word, and now we're starting to see these new kind of contract review systems and things like Google Drive was a huge revolution, the idea that you could kind of share and collaborate with others in real time. Um, and in the future, I think it's just going to be an extension of that, but in a way that's much more simplified and if anything brings in other parties as well. So the idea that you can draft and create a NDA agreement, for example, with the other party on the other side of the line rather than having to, you know, make a review, send it by email, wait two weeks, get it back and sort of going through that, that process. So I think everything will be in much more real time and, and potentially with much more parties involved, but in a way which is hopefully going to make the, the whole process of doing legal business a lot more simple and not reliant on this kind of archaic email system that has been kind of dragging the industry down in my eyes over the last sort of 20 years and the sort of over-reliance on waiting to hear back from people and chasing up emails and things. It just kind of baffles me. But um, no, I think in the future, it will hopefully be much more collaborative and open and, and doing things in real time, like I said. Yeah, exactly. And, and for you, sort of 2020 is going to be a big year, obviously, mm. with studies and everything else. But have you set yourself sort of sort of goals? Obviously, the podcast has launched, but yes. this time, sort of, you know, within a year's time, do you, do you sort of have goals you've set? I guess so. You know, come 2021, I'll <laughs> touch wood, be um, graduated with the LPC and starting work at Baker's. And you're absolutely right. The podcast was just one of those kind of side projects I wanted to keep going. Um, I've always loved the idea of writing some kind of book or handbook and kind of getting it down on paper. I had a quick go with a commercial awareness guide, which I did in November, which was um, which was really fun and, and was really well received. So something along those lines, another kind of creative outlet in a, in a kind of much more final form, either a book or some kind of big production like that would be great. And then just generally to, to kind of enjoy and make the most of the year and to just see where those opportunities go. I don't want to have too much of a solid plan in place because so far, not really having one has actually kind of worked out well in terms of all these sort of things that happen around you. So, um, yeah, a few sort of ideas penciled in in terms of creating things and, and, and whatnot. But at the end of the day, I think it's also good to kind of 
keep an open mind and to just sort of see where opportunities go and to take them as and when they come up really. I think also people get really, you know, we've had people write into us our following podcast being like, wow, you have all these inspirational people, you know, they're aspiring lawyers or they're lawyers and they do all this stuff outside. You know, do they actually do downtime? Um, mm. And, you know, what do you say to that? Because you do, it's just about time management, effectively managing your time. Oh, but absolutely. Give a, give a sort of, you know, give some people some sort of, I guess, relief that it is possible to do all of this and also make sure you can allow time for family time, you yes. know, gym, whatever it might be. Yes. So, yeah. So you're right. So for me, my Google calendar looks like a mess, but I understand it sort of thing. So um, absolutely write down everything that you're doing in your schedule in some format so that you don't get too kind of lost in all these different types of commitments you might have, be it with your studies and then your work and then all these things that you might be doing on the side. So for me, yeah, writing down what you're doing and getting a real plan for the next few weeks ahead is a, is a great place to start because ultimately you, you don't want to burn out. You don't want to be so committed and overcommitted to doing things that you, you neglect your own health and you can't do it. So um, exercise, like you said, is really important. I've been meditating for about two years and, and really love that. And that's been a great way to kind of relieve stress. Um, but it's whatever works for you. How do you I, meditate? Okay. Because there's variations <laughs> to this. So people have told me various different ways. So what's right. the uh, the Harry Clark law? <laughs> yeah. Meditation I can't say I'm offering a course in it. But, um, <laughs> but no, it's what works for you, right? In two words, it's, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's what, what, what works for you. But to me, it's just, it's doing nothing. I think a lot of people have this kind of preconception as to what it is and they feel like they need to really focus and sit down give it some kind of attention that if they're not doing it right then it's not going to have the effect and, and yeah in all honesty it's just about finding five ten minutes of a day with no distractions and, and really no distractions you know setting down your phone and either just finding a quiet place to sit or whilst you're walking to work and just kind of allowing all of the thoughts that are going through your head to to be there and not worrying that oh no i've just thought this and i'm kind of fixated on this or whatever you know just allow everything to happen and to kind of just experience everything that's going around you. And to me, I find that really calming and it's a great way to kind of settle nerves or to deal with anxieties or to um, find a sense of motivation. And the more you do it, the kind of better you'll get, obviously, and it's a case of practice making perfect. But essentially, it's just about doing nothing and to really kind of switch off from all of the constant distractions and kind of attention that your brain has to divert to throughout the day, really. Good stuff. And before we wrap up, because um, mm. people who know me, I'm a bit of a sort of blockchain and sort of crypto enthusiast. Okay. So uh, you know, it's great to finally have someone on who can talk a little bit of the <laughs> little bit of the language. What do you think, as a simple version? You know, what do you think is the benefits of blockchain to the legal industry? Sure. So, um, in short, I think you know, in theory, anyway, blockchain provides a great source of security in terms of knowing that everything that you're doing has been properly validated and, and you know, there's potential applications to reduce things like fraud and to ensure that um, everything that you're doing is kind of verified in a way which doesn't kind of put anything you're doing at risk is immense. Um, how soon we'll see that application to the industry you know, is yet to be seen because um, obviously it's in its very early stages. Um, but you know, I think some of the biggest kind of potential upsides I've seen with it, which was really interesting, was actually to do with the IP side of things. Mm -hmm. So the idea that rather than kind of making a piece of content or a piece of music, whatever, and being reliant on these kind of current systems of um, waiting for things to be, uh, you know, come up and that you then go against and claim for and kind of having to prove things through documentation. Instead, a kind of blockchain-based system where all of your content and your rights to that content and proof that you made it is stored in a way which is immutable, which means it can't be changed and is therefore kind of solid concrete proof is a really exciting application. Um, obviously, it raises questions about things like data protection and your, you know, the classic right to be forgotten that GDPR has put in place. But um, 
for me anyway, I think it's a really exciting opportunity. And again, maybe it's a matter of time as to when it actually comes to fruition and is and is there. But um, all of the kind of developmental things that people are doing right now are, are really, really interesting. And it will be exciting to see where that's all at, at sort of in 10, 15 years time. Yeah, no, definitely. And I guess as we, we, we wrap up then, it's, mm. it's worth making people aware that all of your social medias is pretty easy to find you, right? It's yep. Harry Clark Law. Yep. <laughs> so that's your Twitter, your Instagram, your Facebook. Um, they can find you on your website as well, uh, Harry Clark Law. Yep. And obviously podcast coming out soon. Yep. Is there any sort of final message you'll give to people given that you've been through the journey that you think you'd like to imprint in people's minds so they should be thinking about as part of the start of their legal career? Sure, absolutely. Um, whatever it is that you're thinking of doing, just take that first step. So um, when I wrote that first post back on LinkedIn or it was five, six months ago, um, there was a huge part of me who was thinking, well, why am I doing this and why would I ever hit post? And looking back now, it's incredible how that one decision to share just a few sentences about my experience of um, law, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, has culminated with being able to do things like this and to kind of see those opportunities happen. So whatever it is that you're kind of considering, just give it a go and try it and put yourself out there and you never really know where you'll end up uh, at the end of it. Yeah, well said. Well, listen, um, I sit here saying to you as a future trainee solicitor, I have no doubt I'll be saying future partner and indeed partner, <laughs> yeah, uh, founder and host of More From The Law podcast, which is only going to be a massive success and all your bloggings and all your extracurricular stuff and everything you do for the legal industry. I think on behalf of everyone who kind of already subscribed to all your content and all the future new people it's well worth checking Harry out so thanks so much for coming on and sharing all your insights thanks so much it's for been me. an absolute pleasure it was great thanks so much Rob